Right. Notice in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 17, it says, And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And notice what he was talking about. He was talking about judging the people. Moses, every day, is standing there, and he's got these people he's leading through the wilderness, and they're just all coming all day. They've all got disputes. They've all got problems, and they need Moses to settle these problems. All right? Some of you moms probably feel like this when your kids are coming to you all day long with all these disputes. All right? Anybody ever get tired of that? I mean, how many of you are just energized by dealing with disputes with your kids and it just makes you feel great and, you know, full of life? No, it zaps your energy, doesn't it? It wears you out mentally. And imagine constantly dealing with problems from grown people. Hey, listen, we get real upset when police get out of line and police shouldn't get out of line and get a little rough with people. But can you imagine dealing with the things that they deal with every day and just... I think eventually most of us would probably, you know, maybe shoot somebody we shouldn't have shot or put our knee on somebody's neck or some, you know, tase somebody that didn't need tased and maybe, you know, zap them a little longer than they deserve. We would probably all do that because that's just going to wear you out. You know what it's going to do? Judging people like that all the time, dealing with things like that, it's going to probably make you kind of mean. It's probably going to affect your attitude. You know what it's going to do? It's going to wear, it's going to wear you away. It's going to change who you are. And it's probably going to turn you into something that you don't want to be. Imagine if your life, if every day your life was you were a judge, a jury, and an executioner. Imagine if that was your job. You go during the day, you know, let's say we live back in the old days, and you go out, you deal with problems, you make judgments, and then not only do you make the judgments, not only do you listen to the case and you make the judgments, but you decide the innocence or guilt, and then not only that, after you decide the innocence or guilt, you also have the responsibility of carrying out the punishments. And every day you come home, your wife asks how work was today. So, well, you know, I had to put five people to death today. And I had to throw all the stones. And this one person just wouldn't die. You know, I had to hit them over and over again. They're laying on the ground twitching. I mean, what, what kind of home do you think that's going to be? If that's what you do every day. Okay, I'm not trying to be graphic and morbid. But let me tell you what I just explained to you. This is many people in the IFB world. This is their home. Their home is an insane asylum of crazy people because of the fact that they live lives where they are judge, jury, and executioner of everybody's lives every day. Folks, that is no way to live. They are constantly in everyone's business. And I'm sure it's like this in other religions too, but I only know IFB. But I'm telling you, there are people in the IFB world that they are bitter, mean-spirited people because they just can't ever be happy about anything because they're always in everybody's business. They're always worried about what everybody else is doing and trying to figure out you know, how they can find some way to administer the punishment that they deserve. You have not been called to do that. And let me tell you something about IFB. I love Independent Fundamental Baptists, but we get a lot of grief today. There is a lot of criticism. There's a lot of accusations. There's a lot of attacks that are coming on the IFB world today. And some of it we ask for. And I've listened to some of these people give their testimonies, talking about how horrible it was in the IFB. And I hear them talking about some of the things they dealt with and they lived through. And I know what they're talking about. They're not exaggerating. They're not, they're not lying when they talk about the homes that they had. And you know, one of the reasons 
I believe IFB is constantly losing their young people is because of the unnecessary burden they often place on their children of being judge, jury, and executioner of the world. It, parents do this to their kids. They raise their kids to be this way. Kids aren't just naturally like this. Kids aren't just naturally just judgmental and just wanting to attack everybody and hate everybody. They have to be taught that by their parents. And they're being taught that. And often, because in the IFB world, you know, we preach hard and we take strong stands against sin. And folks, I don't want to stop that. I don't want to stop you from being hardcore against sin. But what happens is in getting hardcore against sin, often what we end up doing is we end up getting power crazy and we end up getting out of line and trying to be the IFB law enforcement officers that God did not give that, you know, office in the Bible. And it's like we declare ourselves IFB law enforcement and then we go and then abuse the power that God does give us. And that's the title of the message tonight, IFB Law Enforcement and Abuse of Power. Now, what am I talking about? I might have to preach on this for a few weeks because there's a lot of stuff that I, I want to cover. But, you know, many people, so many people are, many churches, they're lamenting the fact they keep losing their young people. And I will say that, uh, you know, the church that I came from, they actually had a pretty good percentage of young people that grew up in the church and continued serving the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm very thankful when I go back there, all the young couples with kids that I see that were in the youth group when I was there. I'm very thankful for that. And I think it's because there was a lot of stuff being done right in the church. But more importantly, there was stuff being done right in the homes of those kids. Where Because there are exceptions. Not everybody that was in my youth group continued serving the Lord. And it's not hard for me to figure out why. Because we've got all these kids that are turning out great. And then we've got these few that are turning out terrible. You know what the difference was? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Ultimately, they're the main ones. I mean, church helps. Okay? Church helps. And I do believe our church was a help. But at the end of the day, the church can't do it all. It's ultimately up to mom and dad. And the moms and dads that had their act together, they seem to turn out pretty good kids that are still serving the Lord and still happy. But that's it's not like that. In every church, in fact, many people who do stay in the IFB, even if they do stay IFB, they often become very unhappy, mean-spirited people. And I believe it's because the role of judge, jury, and executioner has taken a toll on them and made them miserable. They're just so mean to people. They're so down on others. And here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Because okay? we want to be hardcore against sin, don't we? Do we, do we not want to live holy lives? Do we not want to live our lives according to the Bible? But here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. How are we supposed to respond to the sin of others? How are we supposed to do that? Especially those that we love. Because, you know, we're all anxious to judge those that we hate. Okay? I'm ready to do that right now. That's easy. You know? Guilty. Death. You know, I mean, that, that's easy, right? You know, I don't really want to be the executioner. You know, I, I, wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want to stone anybody. Maybe flip a switch on the electric chair or something like that, or pull, pull the lever on the gallon. But that's as far as I'd want to go, and I, I wouldn't even like doing that too much. But, you know, this area of, you know, being hardcore against sin, but yet staying in our lane, that's not, it's, it's often an area where people get out of line real quick, and it's hard to find that balance. And so we don't want to be like many of the IFB dropouts who won't condemn anything. 
There's some people that grew up in the IFB world and they got so sick of this, just happen to hate everybody and condemn everybody because they don't like what everybody's doing. They end up just dropping out of the IFB, going liberal and pretty much becoming ecumenical. You know, they don't even want to speak against the Pentecostals or, or, or anything. And I, but at the same time, we don't want to be so hardcore that we become some exclusive, you know, crazy hate cult where we just, everybody that's not us is some evil, unsaved reprobates. We don't want that either. A lot of people, when they give their testimonies talking about how bad the IFB is, one thing that they often say is one of the things that blew my mind is when I found out there were saved people outside the IFB. Now, I don't know who taught them there was only saved people in the IFB world, but we do kind of act that way, don't we? Okay? Nobody, nobody in the IFB would say IFB are the only ones going to heaven. But we practically throw every other IFB person in hell all the time too, don't we? So what kind of message do we think we're sending people? You know, hey, this person doesn't use terminology the way we do. They're not saved. Well, good night. If these other fundamental Baptists aren't even saved, what makes us think Bible church people are saved? You know, what makes us think these other religions are saved? You know, what makes us think these people out souling that we get souling are saved? And so we send a conflicting message when we do that. And so we, you know, there's two extremes that you can go to. And so one thing, so we're not going to have time to do it in this message. I'm thinking about maybe doing it over the next couple of weeks, but is, uh, you know, talk about and show, do some messages showing us what our jurisdiction is when it comes to judging things. Okay. And listen, nobody's going to stop you from having an opinion. If somebody in the church does something that I don't like or that you don't like, you're going to have an opinion on it. You're going to make a judgment in your mind. Nobody's telling you you can't do that. But what are you going to do with that opinion? What are you going to do with that judgment? Are you going to try to force it on them? Are you going to try to get them and intimidate? Are you going to intimidate them to get them to follow your will? Or are you just going to keep it to yourself and mind your own business? That's, that's what you need to do. So we, uh, you know, I think most of us, though, can probably figure, you know, if we just would stop and think, is this in my jurisdiction, we could probably figure it out pretty easy. I think, I, you know, I probably don't even need to preach on it. I don't know. I'll see the looks in your faces as I'm preaching to see if y'all are getting any of this. And if y'all are just looking, you know, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I don't understand. Like, you know, I might need to preach a few messages on that. We'll, we'll find out. So we've got to understand, though, just because there is a time and a place for us to judge, just because there's a time and a place to sometimes be harsh. We see that in the Bible. We see verse like rebuke them sharply. That doesn't mean we have the right to do it all the time. It doesn't mean we have the right to do it with everybody. Just because we have the right to do something to somebody in one situation doesn't mean we have the right to do it in every situation, you know, versus teaching us to call people out, that is not your license to just go call out whoever you want and whoever you don't like. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to actually look at, don't just look at the verse where it says rebuke them sharply. You know what you need to do? You need to look and say, well, why was he rebuking them sharply? Who are these people that he's rebuking sharply? It, you know, who, what, what was his position? What was their position? Does this even apply in the situation where I'm wanting to choose somebody out? We need to ask those questions. That's where real judgment comes in. But what do people do? They just, the Bible says rebuke them sharply. I think you're out of line. I don't think this has anything to do with you. I think this is none of your business. I got a Bible verse. No, you're using a magic verse as a license for bad behavior. 
is what you're doing. And you got to ask yourself, don't just go and look for that verse and then just declare yourself authority over everybody. I can now rebuke everybody. You know, you've got to, you know, you got to judge some of these things. You got to find out, is this your jurisdiction? Just because you can show me a verse in the Bible where somebody's mocking someone, like Elijah mocking the prophets of Baal, doesn't mean you get to mock whoever you want. Okay? We have Elijah, the man of God, who was able to call fire down from heaven, mocking the prophets of Baal, who are leaping on an altar, cutting themselves. Okay? Now, does that give me permission to just go mock any preacher that I disagree with? Oh, well, the Bible says that Elijah mocked the false prophets of Baal. Well, okay, first off, are these actual bona fide false prophets, these people I disagree with? Because I'm pretty sure I'm not quite to the level of Elijah, and I'm pretty sure they're not quite to the level of the prophets of Baal. You know, I don't see them cutting themselves, making blood gush all over. Don't you see? But yet people will take that and use it as an excuse to mock whoever they want. And folks, that's ridiculous. So yes, Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. Does that mean I get to mock an old lady who trips and falls while she's out in public? No, you say you're a terrible person. That well, God mocks. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Yeah, at people who just refuse to listen to him, who was the authority, who was Almighty God. That's not. That doesn't give me justification to laugh at the old lady who falls down. That's just me being wicked. Yet people take preachers take verses like that. And they just use it to justify horrible behavior. It makes me sick what people are doing with the scriptures today. People have not been taught any hermeneutics. They've not. It's like, where where did you learn how to preach? Who taught you how to interpret the scripture? I just see a big kid throwing a temper tantrum behind a pulpit and taking verses out of context to give them license to act like a little kid. That's that's what I see going on. It's absolutely disgusting. And it is. It's self it's, it's, it's sorry, perverted, self-serving preaching that makes people abuse verses like that. Yeah, Paul called out Hymenaeus and Philetus. That doesn't mean I get to call out whoever I want. He put it out there in the Bible for the whole world to see. Time out. Time out. This was actually a letter written to a church that Paul was a part of talking about people who had been causing trouble in that church. This, that is not the same. But yeah, yes, it was included in the Bible, but God chose to include it in the Bible. God chose to include it in his word. That's not license for you now to just go and publicly slam anybody that you don't like for the whole world to hear. Y'all understand? Y'all see the differences there? I'm an ace and that's what That's what they'll do. And can you see how different some of these situations are? This is horrible judgment. You know what this is? This is abuse of power. This is people declaring themselves the IFB police, IFB law enforcement, and getting in things that have nothing to do with them. And folks, preachers aren't the only... Church members do this. This is a big thing in the IFB world, and it's given it a sorry spirit. It's created a lot of sorry churches for years, and what it's ultimately doing is it's turning out a bunch of kids who naturally want to love their brothers and sisters in Christ in church. Did you know your kids, for some reason, they want to love other people in this church? If your kids hate other people in this church, guess where they learn that from? They learn that from mommy and daddy. 
They don't do that on their own. It doesn't happen. Folks, when I grow up, pretty much anybody that I have ever been a, that's been a member of a church that I've attended, I still remember them. I still know their names. I still care about them. I'm still concerned about them. I mean, the people that I went to uh, church with when I was in Spring Valley, I still remember these people. I still remember their names. I still care about them. I still think good thoughts about these people. I'm happy when I see them. There's a lady I haven't seen in over 20 years I used to go to church with that's, uh, that lives about an hour from her has been talking about coming out and visiting. And I, I'm really hoping that she does, and her and her husband. I miss these people. And they've gone other directions and done things that I, I wouldn't agree with, and you know they need to get in church. But at the same time, you know, when they ever walk these doors, I will be thrilled to see these people. I, I, will, be, I will be truly happy to see it. And because, you know, and I think part of that is because, you know, my dad loved the people in the church almost to a fault. Okay. If my, if my dad got out of line in anything when it came to that, as he cared just a little bit too much to the point that it would hurt him a little too bad when people get out of line. And so if your kids are hating other people in the church, they learn that from you. That's where they got that from. And it is, it is the most natural thing in the world to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the most unnatural thing in the world to hate them. And when you've got a church that's just full of people who just hate other Christians, something is bad wrong somewhere. Something is bad wrong when that kind of thing happens. And it's happening. And I am convinced it is happening because Baptists, for some reason, they don't know how to stay in their jurisdiction when it comes to actually dealing with things that we should deal with, okay? There are times things need to be dealt with and dealt with harshly, but it needs to be the person that's it's their jurisdiction. It's their job. It can't be anybody. There's people in this town that needs to be arrested, but you know what? They shouldn't be arrested by me. That's not my job. I've not been appointed to that. If I just went and I started arresting people that had it coming, it's not going to make the town better. It's going to, call, it's going to create chaos if we're all just, you know, choosing and appointing ourselves as police. It's going, to, it's going to mess things up. We don't have the right to do that. And I'm not going to have time to go through all the scriptures I want to on this. So here's what you need to do to help you avoid getting this bad spirit, okay? And I don't think we have the spirit in our church, but I, I pray we don't ever get it. And so, but listen to this message because this can happen to you, okay? You are part of the IFB. I'm always going to preach hard on sin. We're going to take strong stands on things. And if you don't recognize these things we're about to talk about, you, you might start getting the wrong idea on things and it could cause you to have some really bad behavior that's going to affect you in a very negative way where you are not going to be a pleasant person. You are not going to have a pleasant home and your kids are going to want to get out of this mess as fast as they can. And pretty soon they're going to be on the skinny jeans covering from fundamentalism is what's going to happen to them. So first thing you need to do is focus on your jurisdiction. You know what everybody in here needs to do? Everybody needs to figure out what their jurisdiction is. Where do I have authority? You know, we expect that with our police officers, don't we? Don't they have jurisdiction? They, they have jurisdiction. I'll say a little more about that in a bit. You need to find out what your jurisdiction is. You need to find out who you are actually in authority over and in Numbers chapter 30, we're not going to take time to go through this whole passage here, but it talks about vowing a vow and swearing, and it talks about if a woman vow a vow. And we've covered this passage before. 
if she's one who is in her father's house, if she's in her youth, if her father hears her vow, he has the authority to step up and say, she does not have to perform that vow. He can do that because he has authority over her. However, if she's, or if, if she, if he is silent, if he doesn't say anything, then her vow stands. She will be expected to keep that vow. If she's married, her husband now has the authority to do that because the husband has authority over the wife. If she is a widow, if she is uh, someone who is unmarried and not in her father's house, then she has the authority, whatever she says in that situation goes. And it's going on and explaining all this in here because, you know, vowing vows is a very important thing. But at the same time, people needed to understand their place, the fact that they were under authority. And so when it came to women, especially, there were things that they needed to factor in because of the fact that they were to be in subjection and under the authority of their fathers and of their husbands. We see in Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So right there, we see very clear an authority structure. We see a government, you could say. It's a family. We have the husband is the head of that household. You have the wife that is in subjection to her husband. You have the children that are in subjection to their parents. And the authority that I have as a father in my home, I'm still under the authority of the Lord, aren't I? I'm under the authority of the Lord, but then when it gets to me, I do have a lot of authority. And when it comes to my family, what I say, that goes. But wouldn't it be wrong, wouldn't it be perverted for me to come over and then try to enforce my rules in someone else's house? I think we've all got that part figured out. I think we all know that. All right? I think we all get that, that just because, you know, Brother Daniel has a rule in his house, he has no right to go and try to enforce it in Brother Austin's house. Everybody knows that's not how that works. Okay, everybody gets that. Now, there's some pastors that think they have the right to step in and you know, impose their rules in everybody's house. All right, y'all are lucky I don't feel that way. All right, shake up your whole world. But anyway... So look what it says in Ephesians 5, verse 31. So then it says, For this cause shall the man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So, you know, the children, they're under the authority of the parents until that son leaves the house has his own wife, and then they become their own home. They become their own government, their own authority structure, and it should always be husband is the head, wife's in subjection, children in subjection to both their parents. That's the way it's supposed to be. And you know what? Our jurisdiction, my jurisdiction as dad, is pretty easy to figure out. I've got seven people right now, almost eight. My authority's about to grow. So those of you that are power crazy, you know, it means a power crazy IFB preacher. You know, pretty soon I got one more that I get to boss around. But it's not going to be long. I'm going to start losing some to boss around because, you know, they're, they're getting to that age where pretty soon they will leave. But, you know, I get to boss them around until they leave. 
because that's the way it works in the authority structure and in that home. You know, when it comes to, you know, uh, 22520 Moline Road, Sterling, Illinois, guess what? That's my kingdom. You know, and that is, and, you know, that is where I do get to run the show and make some laws. And, uh, you know, we've got a no homo policy in my kingdom. They're not allowed. They're not allowed in that perimeter. And uh, you might not like that, but guess what? You don't have any say in it because when it comes to that kingdom, I'm the authority. That's my jurisdiction. Now, you can let all the homos you want in your jurisdiction. Now, I might not like it. Okay? I might not like that you do that. I might be right that you shouldn't do that. But where is it my... where Now, I get as a pastor, I, I can get up and I can preach that too. And I can preach you. And your kingdoms don't allow homos. I can do that if I want. But at the end of the day, if you don't do that, what do I get to do about it? Nothing. Y'all understand that? And you need to understand that too. When it comes to the rules that you have in your house and your kingdom, your rules might be right. Other people in the church, their rules might be wrong. But guess what you get to do about it? Nothing. You know why? Because it's not your jurisdiction. You have no right to do that. And if you try, you're, you're, you're corrupting, you're abusing the power that you actually do have. So Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 5 says, servants, be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Verse 9 says, and ye masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So just kind of giving authority structures again. You know, servants, be obedient to your masters, not somebody else's master. Okay? If you're working at Walmart, you don't have to listen to the manager of Kmart. Okay? Now, Kmart manager, he might be right in what he says and how things ought to be run, but he has no jurisdiction in Walmart, so who cares what he says? Who cares what he thinks? You don't have to listen to them, and people need to get a hold of that. And it would be foolish for the Kmart manager to sit around stewing that the people in Walmart don't do things the way they do it at Kmart. Wouldn't that be a waste of time? And you know, a lot of Baptists... They've got a bad attitude because they're sitting in their homes and they're mad that another family in the church isn't doing things the way they do in their home. Why do you care? If what you're doing is right, if what you're doing is the best thing for your family, then who cares what everybody else is doing? It's not your problem. And you know what? I think that's a blessing. I think that's a blessing. Did you know people who actually have some authority usually understand this and are often relieved when problems are not in their jurisdiction, okay? But people with no authority are always anxious to take matters in their own hands because it makes them feel important. This is why you have single punks all the time wanting to make other women submit to them. You know why they want to do that? Because nobody's submitting to them. You know why? Because they have no authority. And they can't stand that. I need somebody to boss around. You know, and they, Bible does say, I got a magic verse. You know, women keep silence in the church. Okay, I, I get that, but where is your authority to enforce that? How come you're trying to use that verse to get a woman to shut up on Facebook? I mean, think about that. What, where did you get the power to control what somebody else's wife does on Facebook? Who do you think you are? 
You know what? You don't understand jurisdiction. You don't understand authority. Yeah, but she shouldn't be saying that. Well, you might be 100% right. You might be 100% right. She shouldn't be saying that. She probably should shut up and go back to the kitchen. She probably should do all that stuff. But you know what? It doesn't matter. She don't have to listen to you. So you can sit around and drive yourself crazy all you want. At the end of the day, you have no say, no authority. So why would you do that? Okay, people with no authority, that's how they act. That's how they do things. They're the ones that always want to tell all the other parents, people with no kids, they want to tell people with kids how to parent their children. Listen, you know, as a pastor, I'm ready to give advice. I'm ready to help when asked. But at the end of the day, you know, I got enough work dealing with my own kids. That I'm, not inter- I'm, I'm not disciplining anybody else's kids. I have no desire to spank anybody else's kids. I've seen a few in Walmart that I thought, man, I'd like to paddle that kid before. But at the end of the day, if the parents give me opportunity, I still wouldn't do it. I feel like it at that moment. But most of the time, when I see rotten kids in public, I'm just relieved it's not my problem. That's the way I feel about it. In fact, my, you know, I've, I've probably told this story before. One of my favorite stories is when we went to a wedding reception for a family member, and it was at a fancy place. And there was kids everywhere, and it was bedlam there. The kids kept running up on the stage and running around and dancing around up there. And just, I mean, maniacs. The workers kept coming out and yelling at them, and they just go right back up there. And, I mean, it was chaos there. And me, at the time, I was an assistant pastor. And, you know, normally when I'm at, like, weddings and things, it's involving our church. And so I always felt like I needed to do stuff about the chaos and everything. But I remember I was there, and it was chaos, and I felt bad. I was like, I should probably do something. But then I went, and I thought, wait a minute. This wedding has nothing to do with my church. So it's not making our church look bad if things are out of control. This is for my wife's side of the family, so it makes her their name look bad, not mine. And none of the kids being bad are mine. I went and I looked for all my kids, and my kids were all sitting there watching the other kids misbehave and having a great time watching it. And kind of encouraging them by laughing at them. And I just remember sitting there. And I remember I kicked, sat back on my seat and I watched the show with great entertainment. It was chaos. It was horrible. It was, it was a terrible testimony. But it wasn't my problem. And it was a good feeling. It was a good feeling. You know, and that's how it is with a lot of, with a lot of police officers. They're so tired of dealing with things all the time. Whenever something happens and they hear about something, they find out it's not in their jurisdiction. It's like they're all like glad. You know, I, I, don't, I didn't want to deal with that anyway. In fact, when I talked to the local police because I found out one of the churches in town was getting harassed when they first were shutting down churches, I called and I asked them about it, and they were like, that wasn't our jurisdiction. We got called from the news media, but we just told them, you know, that they're outside the city limits. Uh, that's up to the county sheriff. You could tell that the, the chief of police here in town, he was thrilled that it wasn't his problem. He didn't want to deal with it. Now, some punk who's just anxious to have authority, well, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to deal with it anyway. They shouldn't be doing that. You know, they didn't, now, people with real authority aren't interested in doing that. People with no authority, they want to get in everybody's business and tell everybody what to do. And that just shows how pathetic they are. But you know what? Take comfort. When somebody else in the church does something that they shouldn't do, you know what? I mean, you know, feel, you know, be burdened for them. You know, yeah, you're going to make a judgment in your mind. They probably shouldn't have done this. But at the end of the day, just at, here's what you need to do. You need to ask yourself, is this my problem? Do I have any authority in this situation? And if you don't, then you know what you do? 
You say a prayer for them, and you keep loving them. You keep loving them, you don't start hating them. And that's what everybody does. Everybody gets all bent out of shape when people in the church don't do things that they think they should do. And they and you might be right. But why you know, why is it your responsibility to fix them through hatred? Why is it your responsibility to fix them through being mean to them and being nasty to them? Why is that your it's not your responsibility. You know what that does though? It does it creates a horrible environment and so when it comes to certain family friends or even church members we should always be ready to fill the role of counselor and advisor but get this only when asked y'all get that listen i got a lot of opinions when it comes to finances and things and how things should be done i've read all dave ramsey's books all right so i i, I know a few things right said that before and got myself in trouble but I, like, I, like i know a few things about politics but at the same time if somebody else in the church does something financially that i don't agree with that violates the total money makeover that's not my problem y'all understand that and it would be wrong for me to go and the like, wait a minute uh did you did you buy that car with cash it would be wrong for me i, I yeah well, i'm the pastor so i can do it right no, I can't even do that as a pastor. So do you really need to be doing that kind of thing with people? Oh, I'm not going to tell them what they have. But, you know, but you know, we all have ways of letting our judgments be known to people without even saying anything. So the car you got, you know, what, did you get a loan for that? Okay. I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yes, you did. Hey, have you ever read uh, Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover? I can tell. I can tell, you know. Say, people never do that kind of stuff. Well, you've never been to a Baptist church. That's exactly what people do. Y'all know that. That's not right. Listen, don't use cowardly control tactics. Numbers chapter 12 in verse 1, famous story, says, Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken by Moses, only by Moses? Hath he not spoken by, also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all men, which were upon the face of the earth. And you all know the story of what happens. God ends up giving Miriam leprosy because of the way they spoke against Moses. Now let me ask you this. Why did Miriam get leprosy and not Aaron? Think about that for a minute. Why did Miriam get leprosy and not Aaron? Aaron. Well, first off, it could be because of the fact that Aaron was the high priest of God and he was supposed to be clean and it would have hurt a lot of stuff if God would have smote him like that. I mean, I think God could have if he wanted to. But at the end of the day, I almost think he came down on Miriam harder because of the fact she was in even less of a position than Aaron to be rebuking Moses. I get it. It was his sister. It was his older sister. But she was also a woman. You know, Aaron, on the other hand, you know, he's the high priest of God. I get it. Moses was a leader, but they were kind of a little more equal but then you have Miriam. She doesn't have any official position like that. And here she is just letting Moses have it. And the thing is, too, the Bible notes how Moses was meek. Moses is somebody, you know, he's not arguing. He's not fighting back. He's just kind of taking the beating that he's getting. He's kind of taking the verbal abuse. But you know what? The Bible says God heard what they were saying. God saw what was going on, and God got angry about it. That was not their place. It was not her place. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I don't think that Moses was necessarily wrong in this situation. I mean, I guess, I guess he was. He was already married to Zephora. I don't know everything that goes 
uh, is involved in this. But at the end of the day, it was not her place to get on Moses. And she had no right doing it. And God was not pleased with it. And we've got to understand, sometimes people do things they shouldn't do. Sometimes they might do things we might not like to do. But you've got to ask yourself, is it your place to say anything? Is it especially your place to be mean to them? Is it your place to rebuke them? Is it your place? Well, I found a verse in the Bible where so-and-so rebuked somebody. That doesn't mean you have the right to do it to just whoever you want. It's got to be actually in your place. It's got to be in your jurisdiction. But people, many times too, they just use cowardly control tactics. You know, they will use public shaming. You know, by, for one, somebody does something they don't like, they're going to let everybody else in the church know about it. Why why did you need to do that? Were, you know, who made you the town crier? Who made you the one, uh, you know, appointed you the one to make sure everybody knows what everybody's business is in the church? What, who, who gave you that position? But you know why people do that kind of thing? They don't like what somebody did, and they want to humiliate them. So what do you do? You go telling everyone in the church, did you hear what so-and-so watched on TV? I heard one of their kids doing a quote from a movie that they weren't supposed to watch. You know, Why do you need to tell everybody that? Well, they shouldn't have watched that movie. Okay, they shouldn't have watched that movie. Can you explain to me why that's your problem? Can you explain why you need to let me and everybody else know that? Hey, if you hear that somebody in the church, you know, sometimes little kids talk, you know, sometimes little kids spill things, you know, hey, you know, my daddy the other day said a cuss word or something like that. Why do you need to tell everybody about that? Oh, you know, I mean, what we hear, you know, we're supposed to speak on the housetops. You know, we can find a verse to go along with what we're saying. But no, sometimes you just need to shut up. Sometimes you need to stay out of it. Sometimes we find out things that even break our heart. We find out things that are, are, they sadden us, they disappoint us. But you know, at the end of the day, you've got to ask yourself, what is my role in this situation? What am I supposed to do? And if you don't have any authority, you can, you're allowed to stay out of it. But people use public shaming, they use shunning. Listen, there are people, yes, there are people that we're supposed to put away from us. Okay, we've got a verse in the Bible that tells us that. But that doesn't mean we get to do whoever we want to. Okay, there's, there's some judgment that needs to take place there. And the thing is, if you feel like you need to shun somebody because you don't like a movie they watched or something, why do you got to make sure everybody else does it too? You have, you have no right to do that. You know, I mean, one of the ways we do it today, we try to intimidate, we try to influence through means. That's a common thing today. Oh, man, I don't want to take that position. They might make a meme about me. You know, this meme. You know, it, it, why do we do these things? It's a, it's a way of influencing people. And you know why they do that? Because, and, and, and preachers can be the worst at this type of thing. Because, you know, pastors, they get, I don't know if you all realize this, pastors get power crazy sometimes. And it drives them crazy a lot of times when other pastors don't do things that they want them to do. And a lot of times they're too cowardly to call them out, even if, and a lot of times too, it's because they just can't. They have no justification for calling them out. So you know what they do? They use the passive aggressive tactics. They do the memes. They do the name calling. They do, they do all, they put all those things out there to try to shame that person so they will do what they want them to do. You know, and they'll say things, you know, like, if you like this person, 
you're just a bleeding heart, you know, spineless, you know, loser that's probably a pedophile and, you know, shoots cats. All right. I mean, they'll, 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 they'll say things like that about, I've seen people do that. You know, if you like this preacher, you're this, 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 and this. Oh, man, I don't want to be this, this, and this, and this. I guess I got to hate that preacher too. Hey, why do you need me to hate them with you? Is that your job? Is that your place? Bible says mark them. Are you sure that verse actually applies in this situation? I mean, we need to take these things into consideration. I said, if y'all, if y'all haven't got that figured out, maybe we need to spend some time actually taking these verses that people use to justify all their bad behavior and actually apply these things in situations like a real judge would. That's what real judges do. Real judges, they often use other cases as precedent, and if they find similarities in those cases to the one that they're dealing with, then they will make a, you know, they might do the same thing based off of that. But a lot of times, the situation doesn't even resemble the one that they're in. So you know what? That case doesn't matter. That case doesn't apply. And, but Baptists are like, we're too dumb to realize that. It's, it's amazing just how little ability Baptists have to judge while they go around judging all the time. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, just the name calling. And I know, I get it. They did name calling in the Bible, but just because Jesus called Herod a name doesn't mean you get to just call every pastor that disagrees. We have Jesus, holy. We have Herod, I mean, an evil, wicked king. There's a big difference. Okay? It's just like I mean, this idiot I heard preaching one time and said, was saying it's okay to call someone a dumb ass because the Bible says that dumb ass speaking for bad the madness of the prophet. And he said it's okay to call people that. But you are a moron, my friend. Where did you learn how to preach? Who taught you how to put a message together? Are you insane? No, no, those words are in the Bible, so I can call I can call I can call whoever I want that. Wow. I mean, you know, this is this is the world we live in today. I'm 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 dead serious. I'm thinking about coming out with a card game. If I knew how to make them, I'm gonna come up with the IFB card game. The way it's gonna work, all right, we're gonna have find out who all wants to play, and then we're gonna immediately have a split, because IFB always splits, right? So we have two teams. We're gonna have a stack of cards, kinda like on apples to apples where you have the I think it's the green cards. And under the end, we're going to pull out one of those cards, and it's going to be a doctrine. It could be a true doctrine. It could be a false doctrine. One side has to defend that doctrine, whether it's true or false. The other side has to try to attack that doctrine. And so you have your defense cards, and you have your attack cards. And it's pretty much the attack cards are all name-calling. All right, It's not really going to be Bible verses and stuff because... You know, if you believe that, you know, you're, you know, you're a Calvinist. If you believe that, you know, you're a Ruckmanite. You know, that, you know, it's, it's going to be like name calling, but we can have like defensive ones too. So for example, I might have an attack card that I lay down on you calling you out for all your sin. You know, you're an adulterer, you're a deadbeat, you don't pay your child support, but then you can defend that with a card that says, but I'm a soul winner. See that? And then the goal is, is to get the other team unsaved before they get you unsaved. And whoever can lay the most cards down to where you get the person unsaved, you know, and there'll be like one reprobate card in the deck. That trumps anything, all right? Whoever gets to lay the reprobate, that person's out of the game. They're done. 
and then, you know, whichever team's left standing wins. You know, there won't be, and then if, if there's any Bible verses, I thought the only Bible verses we'll probably include in there is if somebody said, you know, uses a verse to defend that doctrine, then you can lay down a 2 Timothy 2.15 card. You didn't rightly divide. You know, that's what we can do. But then the other person could put a defense card up if they have it. That's John 8.47. This is, he that is of God heareth God's words. Therefore, you're wrong because you don't understand God's word. Not saved, then that person's out of the game. Who would buy that game? All right. I mean, we, we could play that after church. We'd probably have real church splits every week. But if we did that kind of thing. But, folks, that's what the IFB has become. That's what it is anymore. Oh, you, try, you try to talk about a doctrine, and what do they do? They call you a name. You tell people you're King James only, what do they do? You're a Ruckmanite. You tell them you're post-trib. You're an Andersonite. What do they, they're just, they're calling names. That's all they do. They don't want to talk about the doctrine. They call you a name. That is ex- exactly, before I ever met Pastor Anderson, I didn't even know who he was. I started talking to me about post-trib. you one of them Andersonites. You listen to Steve. I didn't even know who he was when I first started talking to people about it. But what did they do? They immediately put that card down. Because that's all they know how to do. It's just a bunch of name calling. And folks, we've all done it too, all right? I like to lay the trendy card down on people, you know? And they, you know, and then, you know, they'll lay the trendy card down on me, and then they'll lay, uh, what, 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 what do we call us? Legalist, yeah, legalist card, you know? Well, I got a lascivious card <laughs> for you, you know? I mean, and we, 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 can go, we can go back and forth with that kind of stuff until, and, I'm telling you, this might become a thing. I probably really should put something like that together. But this, there is nothing independent about the independent Baptist, fundamental Baptist movement. Listen, everyone can't stay out of everyone's business. It is amazing the way people can get shook up so bad because of what one church does, because of who somebody preaches for. Who, I mean, I can't believe how much things just got shook up when me, pastor our little church in, here in Rock Falls, just started preaching post-trib, they had to have a whole conference to deal with me. And I wasn't even calling anybody up. I didn't call up I didn't call up any younger preachers. The only people I ever talked to were older preachers. With one exception, there was one younger pastor that I talked to that I was friends with, and I realized this guy doesn't know anything. He's not helping me out. And I only would talk to older preachers about that. And they acted like I'm trying to just, you know, change everybody. I, I wasn't interested in that. And then I just started preaching in our church, and everybody's losing their mind over it. And I'm like, this is weird. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's no different. It's like that in every crowd. You know, people get all shook up when, you know, uh, you know, the Keith Gomez conference. All those conferences were always against some other group. A lot of times it was the Paul Chapel group, you know, because he was having preachers come preach for him who have other preachers come whose wives wear pants. I was like, really, we're going to have a conference about that? You know, I came to get edified. I came to learn something. And really, we're going to talk about preachers having other preachers who are friends with guys whose wives wear pants. Man, I didn't get, I didn't get anything out of those conferences. I thought that was super weird. You know, and, and but that, that's what the IFB does. I mean, people get bent out of shape and lose their minds just because of people that I'll preach for or people I have come preach for me. I think that's super weird. That freaks me out. When people act like they have some kind of say in who comes and preaches for me or where I go preach, I start asking myself, am I in a denomination? Because I never wanted to get in one. I never had any interest in doing that. 
I already escaped one group to try, you know, telling me who I could be friends with and telling me, you know, what I could preach. I already dealt with that. I'm not dealing with that kind of thing, folks. I'm not interested in that. We are an actual independent fundamental Baptist church. Not interested. But I don't know. It's This is just how it's always been. Anybody that's been in the IFB world for any length of time, you know this is how it's always been. IFB can't mind their own stinking business. And because of that, and it's, and it starts with the preachers. The preachers are the ones that are leading this. And you know what? That spirit gets passed on to the people in the church. The pre, if, the, if I'm constantly getting in everybody's business, getting out of my jurisdiction when it comes to stuff going on in other churches, you guys are going to be the same way when it comes to other people in the church. And just like I'm out fighting all these stupid battles out in other churches that have nothing to do with me, you all are going to be fighting battles in other homes that have nothing to do with you. And we're going to have a war zone in our church full of angry, bitter people, full of kids who want to come to church and love their brothers and sisters in Christ. They want to get along, but you know, I, you know, my parents hate these people. I'm not allowed to talk to them. I'm not supposed to make friends with these ones in the church because we don't like each other. My parents don't, they're afraid that they might talk about one of the movies that they watch. You know, they might use a word that we're not allowed to use or something. And then before you know it, they just hate everybody. And it's just a bad spirit. And then the kids grow up with that. They carry that burden. They get wore away. And then as soon as they get a little bit older, they go and they go to one of these twinkle toes, pink shirt, skinny jean churches. But people are nice to each other there. People are at least smiling and loving. And they don't feel like they have to go out and kill somebody after the service. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to this. And listen, that's not good over there either. But often what we have going on in the IFB is not good either. And we need to stay away from that. And real quickly, Hebrews 13, 7. You need to understand your greatest method of persuasion is your success and happiness. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now, this is referring to people that actually do have authority over you but it tells us to remember them why because we're considering the end of their conversation we're considering uh, the fact that these people succeeded and we're in an area where we want to succeed and if you want people to follow your lead if you want people to be as hardcore as you are you know what you need to do you need to go succeed in raising your family but often Families that are the harshest on everybody, they have the most strict rules, and they're also the meanest to everybody else in the church, often turn out the sorriest kids. Why would I follow you? And often, I've seen some of the more liberal families turn out better kids than the strict families. You know why? Because those liberal kids, they at least continued with what they were taught, where the strict kids are like, you know what, apparently I must have missed out on everything. I'm going to go try some sin. And, they're, and they just get involved in every bit of craziness that the world has to offer where the more liberal family, they at least stay with what they've been taught. And we need to understand that nobody's going to want to listen to you if you're miserable. Nobody's going to want to listen to you if you're mean. You just need to go and succeed in what you believe is right. Go prove that your way is the best way. If you'll do that, People will follow you. People will come to you for advice whenever they're making a decision if they see you succeeding. But if you're failing, if you're miserable, if your children are miserable, nobody's going to want to listen to you. You're just going to be just blowing a bunch of hot air and you're just going to be an annoyance. 
to everyone and creating a bad spirit. If you are young, and if you're young and you're right and have no authority, you can still be an example. Who it says in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth. Hey, hey, who are you, Mr. Young Punk, telling me what to do? Let no man despise thy youth. I get that. But the Bible does say, let no man despise thy youth. But does that mean you now have authority and you can come rebuke an elder and all these things? No, it doesn't mean that. Yeah, you got, it. you got a line that you can use. What does that say? Let no man despise the youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And it's not, you know what it doesn't say in there? In authority. Okay? If, you're, if you're just young and started, man... You might have all the answers. I mean, you've watched so many YouTube videos, you know everything that's right. I mean, you might be right. If everyone listened to you, it'd solve all the world's problems. Everybody's family problems would be solved. But at the end of the day, you have no authority. So you know what we need you to do? We need you right now to shut up, and we need you to then go and succeed in these things. Hey, you know all about marriage? Good. Go find a wife. Go have a happy marriage. You know all about raising kids? Go have some kids and raise some good kids. And one of these days, there's going to be another younger group of people that are going to come along and say, you know what? I want to do things like you. What did you do? And then you can be an influence. You can be a help. And so just because you're right, it does not mean you have, the, you have any authority. And Baptists need to learn how to live with other people being wrong without it killing them. They've got to figure that out. They just can't do it. The burden of being judge, jury, and executioner of everyone, it's not a calling that God put on our lives. And you know what? I'm not going to enlist for it. It creates mean, nasty people that I don't want to be like, that I don't want to be around. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to focus on my jurisdiction. The Rock Falls police, they need to take care of things in Rock Falls. They don't need to take care of things in Sterling. That's not their place. They would be wrong for doing that. Now, if Sterling has an issue and they want help, they can call for them. But then they need to follow their lead when they're over there. They should listen to the chief of police over there. Why? Because that's his jurisdiction. That's the way things work. You know, our world understands this better than Christians many times. I think that's pathetic how our world gets a lot of these things. Our, that our world understands more about judgment than a lot of preachers today. That freaks me out when I read in 1 Corinthians where the Bible says you're better off taking the least esteemed among you and letting him be judge over you. And it's like if the least esteemed would be a good, better judge than the lost world in that church, and a lot of pastors today are worse judges than the ones... I mean, it's like we got, we're going wrong somewhere. And it's just because... There's a, there's a lot of ignorance, there's a lot of foolishness, there's a lot of bad behavior, and people are trying to take verses in the Bible out of context and use it as a license to justify their bad behavior. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm, I'm going to focus on my jurisdiction and because I, I want to have a happy family, and I don't want to abuse the power that I do have. And I hope that will be your desire, too. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray you help all of us to... Uh, focus on these things. Lord, help us to realize that we need to stay in our lane. We need to stick with what we've been called to do. And if other people do things, Lord, that we don't like, Lord, even if they're 100% wrong, help us to remember our place and uh, not get involved in things that are 
not our business, that are not in our jurisdiction. I pray we will not have uh, this horrible judgmental spirit in our church that just turns away our young people uh, from uh, what we're trying to teach them. I pray we will set an example and be happy. In your name we pray. Amen.